0: So here's a question that probably every single one of us have been asked at least once in our life, even if you don't remember it because you were just a a wee lad or a wee lass. And the question is this, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? We all had that. You you can remember now what you wanted to be when you were little and you would talk about it. That's what you wanted to do. How many of you said when you grow up, you want to be a fig farmer? Yeah, let me see your hands. Come on. I know lots of you, right? Yeah, fig farmer was probably not high on our list. In 1912, Paul Mesplay's grandparents immigrated from France to California. Their desire to provide for their family became the desire to plant grapes and plant figs. And so that's what they did. Now, Paul had absolutely no plans to join the family business. He went off to college, got a political science degree, and that's what he was going to do. He was going to head into politics. But his dad got sick. And so he started helping out on the farm, and he got hooked, and he became a third-generation fig farmer. Now, as a couple years ago, he was farming about 2,000 acres of figs. That's a lot of figs. This is what he said about how that figure kept growing. Yeah, I know. I paused. This is what he said about how those acres kept growing and growing. As my grandfather and his children, my dad and uncle, saw how well figs were doing, they planted more and more figs. Now, that's not hard math, right? Hey, these people are eating these things. We probably should plant some more of them. But let's just imagine that Grandpa Mesple goes out into the field one day, and he's walking through the trees, and he finds one tree that doesn't have any figs on it. There's no figs. The figs are not there. There's no fruit on the tree. And then he remembers, you know what, this is the third year in a row that this tree has not produced any figs. What do you think Paul's granddad would have done if he found that tree with no fruit after three years in his field that was providing food and money for his family? Well, you may not want to be a fig farmer. You may not like figs. You may not like Fig Newtons. You may not like Fig Jam. You may not like Figgy Pudding. You may not like Fig Soap or Fig Shampoo or Fig Lotion or Sweet Fig and Pomegranate Scented Candles. You may not like anything to do with figs. But here's the thing. What Paul's grandpa would have done with that tree has everything to do with your life and my life right now. Why? Why? What does that fig tree have to do with us? Well, let's find out. Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 6. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. So Jesus is telling a parable. A parable is just a a story, an illustration designed to teach a lesson, or in the case of Jesus, to point to a divine truth. And so here in this parable, he's telling the story of an owner who went out into his vineyard and started checking out his fig trees. It's his land, it's his fig trees, it's his charge, it's, it's his passion to be taking care of his vineyard. It's what he does. And so the owner gets out there and he finds that one of his trees doesn't have any fruit on the tree. So what does he do? Jesus continues the parable in verse 7. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? So the owner turns to the keeper, the guy he's hired to manage the farm, and he says, look, this tree, I've been walking by it three years now. There's no figs on it. There's no fruit on it. Just, Just cut it down. There's no reason for it to be there. Now, let's just step into this parable a little bit. Imagine that the owner is one of your friends, okay? And you're standing there with the owner while the owner's talking to the manager of the farm. And you don't know anything about figs. And you don't know anything about fig farming. You don't know anything about farming at all. But you turn to your buddy and you say, Hey man, I don't know anything about fig farming. But I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. And I just want you to know that I think this is a really, really dumb, ignorant idea for you to cut this tree down. Now, you don't know anything about farming. So it's kind of foolish for you to give the owner of the fig farm and his farm manager advice on what they should do with the tree. Likewise, you're not the owner, so it's kind of out of place for you to even say anything to them about this tree. This is this owner's land. These are his trees. And if there's something wrong with one of his trees, he has the authority to deal with it. And one of the things he might do is to cut the tree down. Now, there's another option, though. And the farm manager is going to give it to him. Listen to verses 8 and 9. Jesus continues. And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. So the the vineyard keeper says, You know what? Give me a little time. Let let me dig around. Let me put some fertilizer down. Let's give this tree just another Chance. Now, this parable is, is, is really hard to understand. I mean, it uses really big, difficult words like fruit and tree and cut and dig. You know, things that we can't understand. You know? I mean, we probably need a, a Ph.D. to even make our way through. Maybe we need to stay at a Hot Inn Express to even understand what this parable is all about. No, it's not true, is it? <laughs> You could have a Ph.D. in agricultural engineering or you could be in P.E. class with your second graders and you can understand this parable. It is not difficult to understand. If you have a fruit tree that's producing fruit, then enjoy the fruit and keep the tree. If you have a tree that's a fruit tree that's not producing fruit, it is a fruit tree by name only. There's nothing else to call it. So if a parable is designed to teach a lesson, what's, what's the lesson here? What's the truth we're supposed to see in this tree? Well, let's keep it in the, the context first. Now, who is it that Jesus is talking to? Well, he's talking to a crowd of folks. I mean, it's a mixed crowd. There's all kinds of people in there. So, so we might say if we use today's language, in this crowd, there were some Baptists and there were some Methodists and some Presbyterians and some Lutherans. There were some Catholics and some Charismatics. There were some traditional people. There were some contemporary people. There were even some non-religious people, some non-Christian, some non-safe people. This was a, a hodgepodge of folks. And so in that mixed crowd, Jesus begins to communicate a story about a tree that has a fruit tree name but no fruit. That's the the parable he begins to tell. And again, this is not a a Ph.D. dissertation, so let's keep it really simple. This parable is, is not hard to understand. Let's just match our characters a little bit. The owner would be God. The vineyard keeper would be Jesus. And the tree could be somebody like me or somebody like you. And also because of the message of the Old Testament and the message of the New Testament, because of the other teachings of Jesus, we also see that, that this tree really is kind of pointing to the Israelites. See, here were the people that, you know, in a sense, for, for about 4,000 years almost, had the, the hope, the promise of the Messiah. They were hanging on to this promise, this hope of the coming of the Messiah. And now the Messiah is standing right in front of them. And they are rejecting him, or they are ignoring him, or they're saying, Well, I'll I'll just deal with him a little bit later. They had t shirts that said certified organic fig growers, but they didn't have any figs. And they didn't buy their land themselves, they didn't save up and, and purchase the land. The land was given to them by God. They got the best land, they got the best fertilizer. They got well-timed sunshine and well-timed rain, but still there was no fruit, nothing. And just like the fig tree owner that was walking through his vineyard and, and saw this one tree that for three years had done nothing, for three years at this point, these folks had heard Jesus. They had seen Jesus, and yet still they showed no fruit, at least not the fruit that comes from the true kingdom of God. When pastor makes this connection between us and this tree. We live in a land of Bibles and liberty and gospel preaching. How vast are the advantages we enjoy. Few things are so much forgotten by men as the close connection between privilege and responsibility. We are all ready enough to eat the fat and drink the sweet and bask in the sunshine of our position as Christians. But... We are very slow to remember that we are accountable to God for all we enjoy. And that to whomsoever much is given, of them much will be required. So let us awake to a sense of these things. We are the most favored nation upon earth. We are in the truest sense a fig tree planted in a vineyard. I mean, that sounds like our nation today, right? But it's not. That's J.C. Ryle, 150 years ago, talking about England. A place where many of the churches are are now hotels or bars or clubs. A place where statistics say maybe less than 2% of the entire population is really connected to the gospel. Ryle goes on to say this. Let us not forget that the great master looks for fruit. Looks for fruit. So what kind of fruit is God looking for? Well, if I've got my botanical pomology right, one fig actually has a lot of little hard-shelled fruits inside of it. So if you get one fig, you're getting one big fig with a lot of little tiny fruits inside of it. These little hard-shelled seed fruit are all inside of there. And so the gospel teaches us throughout the scriptures that when we look at the fruit that God is looking for, it's, it's one big fruit, and then there's a lot of little fruits down inside of the one big fruit. And so Paul kind of gives us a, a picture of this in his letter to the Galatians. He writes it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So, so all of those fruits inside of the, the one fruit, you know, if you read your Bible, you'll notice it says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. So it's, it's all these fruits, and, and they're in the one fruit, so to speak, of salvation, the one fruit of the Spirit working in our lives. And so according to the language of Scripture, God looks for all of this fruit. He doesn't just look for one of these things. He, he looks for all of these things. Sure, some of them will be stronger than others, but but if we're going to wear our certified organic fig grower t-shirt, if we're going to wear our Christian t-shirt, then then these things have to be seen somewhere, sometime in our lives with with some consistent basis. I was somewhere this week, and it was packed, and it was crowded, and there was a long line of people waiting. And I was off to the side. I was already sitting at a table, and, and the line just never Never went down. I mean, people were just constantly coming in. But the workers were, were doing a great job. Uh, they, were, they were getting people through as fast as they could and being really nice and, and and there was no problems. And and I happened to glance up and and I saw a guy that came in the door. You know, he just he just had that look. Man, he was in a bad mood. And I just went back to to doing my work and, and the line kept going. I looked up and that guy was gone. I went back, kept doing my work, looked up again, he appeared again, showed up in the line. And so he finally got up to the counter, and when he got up to the counter, he, he just did that thing where he started getting loud. He's just loud, and he started being rude, and, and he was mad. He started demanding to speak to somebody higher than the manager. And it was that moment where you kind of look around the room, and everybody in the room has that look on their face, you know, like, oh, this guy's being a rude jerk. Oh, I don't want to be here. And he was, he's being really rude. And of course, it richly blessed my heart, and I'm sure blessed his pastor's heart to find out that he was wearing his Southern Baptist Church t-shirt as he was being so rude in the middle of this place. See, he, he had the fruit tree name, but there was not any fruit. Now, if, in case you think I'm being unfair, let's, let's just tender this a little bit. We're all going to have a bad day. All right? We're going to have more than one. So here's just a little bit of advice. When you're having a bad day, just stay at home, okay? Just just stay at home. And if you can't stay at home, then go to work. Stay in your office, all right? Just, just don't go outside of your office. And if you have to go out of your office, then, you know, just, just be wise. But listen, if you're having a really bad day, don't go to places that have lines, all right? Don't go somewhere where you would have to wait. Just don't do not do it. Don't go through the drive-thru that you know has two lanes and 50 cars. Just, just don't go there. You know, if, if we're having a bad day, let's just be wise and work through it, pray through it. But don't, as believers, let us not take our bad day out on the world. Because we'll have some from time to time. So the name of the fruit tree was there, but there just wasn't any fruit. So, so let's kind of think through this whole picture of what these fruits are so that we don't just kind of read through a Bible verse and just think, oh, well, I know what those words mean. So just we're going to hit these real quick. Uh, Paul gives them to us like this. First he says the fruit of love. Now this is not movie love. This is not romance novel or chick flick movie love. This is not what this is. This is love that is marked with unselfish affection toward other people. This is a love that says, I'm going to love my neighbor in the same way that I love myself. That's the love we're speaking of. Next, he says the the fruit of joy. This is not just a, a temporary emotion of pleasure, not just something that you enjoy for a moment. This is joy that is content in the gospel. This is joy that's content in God. And so, therefore, the contentment in God spreads out regardless of what circumstance you're in. Next, Paul says, the fruit of peace. This is an attitude of calm because you know you're saved. That's kind of a big deal. This this is a a picture in your heart and your mind. I've been rescued by Jesus so I can be calm. I can fight through the stress and the anxiety because I've been saved. Next, Paul says, the fruit of patience. This means we're not quick. To anger. We're, we're actually quick to be compassionate. We're quick to be gracious. We are quick to be willing to put up with a lot before we start complaining or arguing. Next, Paul says the fruit of kindness. This is a genuine desire to, to care about people, to, to help people. It's, it's a desire to, to show hospitality. It's just, just to go out of your way. To be kind. And the next one, the next fruit is similar, the fruit of goodness. This is, is being thoughtful, like a unique way of being thoughtful. It's it's this you're you're thinking about how good God is being to you right now. So how can I be good to others? I have power, I have electricity. What can I donate to the hurricane victims? You know? I, I have what I need. Where is someone who doesn't have need? Goodness is seeing God's goodness in your life and uniquely trying to be thoughtful. And be good to others. Then he says, the fruit of faithfulness. This is loyal, dependable, reliable. Now, this isn't reliable because you're reliable. This isn't reliable because you never miss work or you never miss school and, and you're Johnny on the spot. That's not the reliable we're talking about. You're reliable, meaning people can depend on you because they see you're somebody that's depending on God. They don't see you depending on yourself. They see an attitude that says, I am dependent on God for all of my needs. And they say, that is a reliable, faithful, loyal person to the Lord. I want to be connected to them. Next, he says, the fruit of gentleness. This is just a a sweet spirit, a sweet attitude that is seen in in any of the daily difficulties of life. Again, hang with me because we don't do these perfectly. But it's just this, this picture that when we are gentle, we're not gonna be quick to be harsh. We're just not. We're not gonna be harsh first. We might be harsh later. I got four teenagers. Every now and then I get a little harsh, right? But it doesn't need to be first. Harsh first is, is not the fruit that God has put into our lives. And then one more, self-control. This'll be hard to hear, but but just to hear it. You are the king or the queen of your emotions, your temper, and your behavior. You are. You're the king or queen of your emotions, your temper, your feelings, and your behavior. So, if those things are submitting to you as the royalty over them, everything's fine. But if you are submitting to them, everything's not good. So we need to have self-control. We need to be the king and the queen over, or the queen over, our emotions and our feelings and our behavior. Now that's just a just a quick snapshot of just this fruit that we see in Galatians five. You can also look at, at Jesus' sermon in, in Matthew five, and we we find more fruit that we would want to look for in life. But but this picture is, is a pretty good picture, a, a starter list of what should be seen, the kind of fruit that should be seen in the life of a believer. Now, here's the thing. We're not going to have any of these things perfectly, you know. And and we're going to misfire on a lot of them on some days. But again, the question is, if we ask your spouse, if we ask your kids, if we ask the people you work with, would they say, yeah, I see those things? Not perfectly, but yeah, those things are in his life. Those things are in her life. Are they there? Not perfectly, but are they there? And and true for the church, too. Are these things in our church? Is the fruit of the Spirit that's seen in our church? Are these things seen in in who we are and what we do? So the owner saw no fruit, and he was going to cut the tree down. But the keeper said, let me dig around it. Let me get some fertilizer in there, and let's, let's give it a second chance. Let's give it one more try. There's a story about a farmer that was driving slowly down the side of the road, uh, pulling behind him a load of manure. A little boy was playing out in his front yard, and a little boy came out and said, Hey, what, what you got back there? The farmer said, Well, I, I got a load of fertilizer. The little boy said, What you going to do with it? And he said, Well, I'm going to go spread it out on, on the strawberries. The little boy said, Man, you should live here, because we put sugar and cream on ours. Sometimes the fertilizer that comes into our life, we don't like it, do we? Sometimes the fertilizer that God uses in our lives, we, we don't like it. We we don't like the way he digs around our life sometimes. We don't like that fertilizer that he puts in. It it smells bad. It it stings sometimes. But here's the question: which would we rather have in, in this parable? Would we rather have bad smells? Bad feelings, bad pain, or would we rather be cut down and thrown into a fire? I mean, really, it's, it's, it's not a hard thought process. The, the parable is not difficult to think through. Jesus consistently confronted people with their need to repent. Consistently, constantly confronted people with their need to repent. Sometimes the way he did that is is he would tell them when they saw a tragedy or they saw a natural disaster, that they should draw a line from that to their own hearts, to their own souls. That if that tragedy, if that disaster had happened to them, were they ready to meet God? That's how Jesus talked about repentance. On other times when he was challenging people to repent, he would tell them, you know what? The trees that don't have any fruit, they're going to get cut down. At other times, Jesus would would tell especially the religious folks, he would say, you know, you need to repent because you're a whitewashed tomb. You're You're a religious zombie. So on this moment, on this day, when Jesus is telling this parable to this crowd about this fig tree, he is not being mean. He is not being unloving. He is not being arrogantly demanding and he is not being arrogantly exclusive. What he is doing is showing mercy. He he is showing great mercy. And that's why we don't skip over stuff in the Bible. We let Jesus be Jesus according to Jesus. And these are the words of Jesus. This is how Jesus talked all the time. It was consistently part of his language. Repent repent. But it was always with mercy. I want to show you, Jesus is still showing mercy today. He's showing mercy right now. If you are not a Christian, then Jesus is mercifully saying this to you today. John 3, verse 16, the amplified version. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten Unique son. Why would God do that? So that someone who is not saved would know this. So that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction, or be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. That's the promise of the everlasting God. And so Jesus consistently said, and Jesus is consistently saying, repent. Repent of your sin. Repent because you have failed. Repent because you fall short of the glory of God. And turn to me, Jesus says. Turn to Christ and be loved with sovereign grace. Turn to Christ and live. And not just live once and live today, but to live forever. If you're a Christian by name only, you just got the t-shirt, then Jesus is mercifully saying this to you. Matthew seven twenty one. not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. That's what Jesus says. And if you're a believer, if you're a true follower of Christ, then Jesus mercifully says this to you today. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And get this. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him only in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. Is that what it says in John 14? No. No, Jesus is who has my commandments and obeys them. That's the one, the the fruity one who loves me. And the one who loves me, my father will love and I will love him. I will love him and I will love her when their spouse is awful. I will love him and I will love her when their kids are rebellious. I will love them. I will love them. When they lose their job, when they fail the test, when they get kicked off the team. I will love them when they have to wait in line and everything is going wrong. I will love them when the hurricane bears down on their life. And I will love them so much that if they lose their life, they will gain eternity. But that's Jesus. That's who He is. His love never fails. His love never ends. No matter what our moment may be. When we put Jesus among all the other gods of the world, that and that alone makes him stick out beautifully. Some people, though, don't see any mercy in this. They, they just see a, a mean God, just a mean God up in heaven, and he's cutting people down and throwing them in hell because they can't squeak out a little bit of fruit. They just see an unloving God with his unfair judgment day. That's, That's all they can see. Pastor Scott Saul says this, If there is no judgment, then there is no hope for a child who has been abused or bullied or people who have been slandered or robbed or had their dignity stolen. And then listen to this. If nobody is called to account before a cosmic judgment seat for violence and oppression, then the victims will never see justice. Praise God for Judgment Day. In the midst of everything we've read, even if you've looked at the news this morning, praise God there is a final accountability. There is justice. And the irony cannot be lost that the very reason that some people reject God, the very reason that some people hate God, is the most merciful and compassionate thing that God displays. Dealing with sin once and for all. Even as I speak right now, Jesus is digging around some of your hearts. Even as I speak, Jesus is is digging around the hearts of of other people right here in our community as they sit in church this morning. Jesus is is digging around the hearts of, of people who aren't in church in our community this morning. There may be somebody drunk and passed out in their car from wherever they were last night, at the game or the bar or anywhere else. Jesus may be digging around their heart right now. And in the remotest part of the world today, Jesus is digging around hearts. And He's digging around those hearts and and His desire, His delight is to pour sunshine and rain and the nourishment of the gospel around their tree. And as He digs, His song has never changed. It's always the same. Repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. The word repent Is maybe the greatest word of of love and grace and mercy that has ever been spoken. Ask J.C. Ryle to help us one more time. He writes this Mercy, founded on the mediation of a coming Savior, was the cause why Adam and Eve were not cast down to hell in the day that they fell. Mercy has been the cause why God has borne so long with this sin-laden world and not come to judgment. Mercy is even now the cause why unconverted sinners are so long spared and not cut off in their sins. We have probably not the least conception how much we all owe to God's long suffering. The last day will prove that all mankind were debtors to God's mercy and Christ's mediation. And then he says this, even those who are finally lost will discover to their shame that it was of the Lord's mercies they were not consumed long before they died. You know why Jesus confronted those people with repentance all the time? It's because he wanted them to know there may not be a later. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. And then J.C. Ross says this. As for those who are saved, covenant mercy will be all their plea. You ever had anybody broke a promise to you? Everybody had had somebody say, I'm going to do this for you. A promise. And then it didn't get done. They failed. They broke their promise. If you're a believer and follower of Jesus, the promise of your eternal life was purchased in the body of Jesus Christ. His blood was spilled so that your promise can never be broken. And so on the last day, our plea will be, I have the covenant promised mercy of Jesus. It cannot be taken away from me. I love how the old hymn says it. For my pardon, this I see. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus.